The Acts of the Apostles, the 16th chapter, beginning to read at the 19th verse. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs which it is not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this charge, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's fetters were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once with all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced with all his household that he had believed in God. Amen and amen. The place, a Macedonian prison in Philippi. The time, midnight. The situation, Paul and Silas had been thrown in jail. They had disturbed the peace. The accusation unfair, the trial was unjust, the bodily treatment they received in beating was unmerciful. And here they are, thrown not just into prison, but in the inner prison, the security section. And the jailer, who was threatened with his own life if they would escape, took the special precaution of locking the ankles of both Silas and Paul in separate stocks. And there they were, in a dark, wet, dungy cell, the hour of the darkness of midnight, and we're told that sounds came forth from that prison. 
Not the sh sounds that you would expect of yelling and cursing and threatening. No, no. The sounds of the Christian midnight in jail are the sounds of prayer. And not only prayer, but the sounds of the singing of hymns. <laughs> Sounds like rather a spooky thing to do, isn't it? Here you are, in what the poet calls the midnight of the soul. All but darkness is around you. You're beaten. You've been tried. You've been accused. Everything is unfair, unjust, unmerciful. But there you are. And the sounds that should be coming from your experience are the sounds of midnight. Prayer. And the singing of hymn. Now I know most of us when we're experiencing tough times. When we feel that all have forsaken us and we're being accused unrightly so. We do pray. But folks, let's not forget the singing of hymns. Because though prayer moves mountains, the singing of hymns move people. And the church to which we belong have a long tradition not only of praying, but of singing. And my chief goal here today is to give you this secret, which is the Christian. The next time you are experiencing some imprisonment, when you feel locked in, everyone has forsaken you, when you are in the midnight of your soul, don't just pray, but sing. Sing hymns to God. For we have in this outline many things that happened, and I'm sure some of them happened not only because of the prayer, but of the singing, because of the dual sounds of midnight. Here we find that the prayer and the singing brought forth inspiration. Inspiration. It says right here that when they were in jail, they began to pray and to sing. And the fellow prisoners were listening to them. Do you get the picture? I don't know why... Luke, the author of this passage, thought it was so important to tell about the audience, but he did, and, and I assume that he thought it was very important. And, and what was happening, you see, we had a change reaction of contagion going on here. There was Paul, and believe me, I think he sung worse than I do, and that's pretty bad. But he did not think of himself as being a virtuoso. He wasn't singing to entertain, he was singing to inspire. Here were two men who were very supportive of each other and the fellow Christians. Usually they went and stood beside somebody who was going through some hell or some midnight experience. But they couldn't do it, their, their ankles were locked in the stocks. Usually they would go and, and put their arms around some fellow Christian as we do, showing support and love and understanding and common empathy. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't get close to one another. They couldn't see each other. They couldn't touch each other. So what did they do? They did the best thing they could do. And in the silence of midnight, in the darkness of prison, 
they reached out to one another with the singing of the hymns they both knew. Singing. What does Carlyle call it in his essay? That, he says, music is the speech of angels. Surprising. I, I think we've all been in situations, have we not, where we're down, we're discouraged, we're standing together, nobody seems to know what to do, and then one person begins to whistle or hum a tune or attempt to break forth in chorus, and pretty soon another person joins, and then a third and a fourth, and pretty soon the whole congregation is inspired of the power that comes through singing together. We know this. We know this. We Americans should know it for that which we call our national anthem, you know, which is a hymn. Do you remember, recall when it was written? Francis Scott Key, who wrote the words. He wasn't really imprisoned, but he was held captive on a boat. And we were in the midst of a hell of a war. And the night was dark. And that is where he got the inspiration to begin to sing a song which is an anthem which inspires us. Or it ought to every time we bear our head and cover our heart and salute our flag. Who can forget during the dark days of the war? I remember the Second World War only as a little boy. But what inspiration came to us in those dark, dark, dark days when we wondered what was happening on the other side. And we were interested and inspired not only the work of, of Eisenhower and Marshall and Nimitz, but we were equally inspired by the work of a man by the name of Irving Berlin who is able to teach us how to sing. People like that big fat lady who still inspires me when we sing together, God bless America. In the 60s, it was distressing to some of us, I know at times, but what great strength, what great power what great glory came when black man and white man joined hands together and under the inspiration of people like Martin Luther King and other people, they joined not only in coming to grips with the protest marches of the day, but they joined together in singing, We Shall Overcome. No matter what you thought of that, and maybe you were against it, it has done some good to correct some injustices in the world. Music, you see, it inspires. It inspires. And when we are in the darkness of the night, the midnight of the soul, my, what can happen when we not only pray, but we sing. We sing also brings forth action. Now, I wouldn't suggest to you that the earthquake was necessarily a result of their singing. No, a couple of you and I could sing, and I think we might cause some earthquakes or at least shake the foundation, but maybe it was a part of it. But what happened, you see, that with the singing, shortly thereafter came forth 
a quaking of the earth and the shaking of the very foundations. You see, action, action usually follows singing. Now we understand that, we see it. And we never forget that, that great, great musical that many of us enjoyed and some of us have participated in. Remember, the sound of music, it ends at nighttime. And the people are escaping the prison, climbing the highest mountain. We know this in, in, in church work and in theology. When Martin Luther first led the Protestant movement, what he did was not only to translate the Bible into the German tongue, but he wrote hymns. John and Charles Wesley, the latter, is responsible for writing more than 4,000 hymns. They knew the power that comes when good preaching is supported with good singing. The power is there, and, and I felt it in this church. I felt it on many occasions, where literally the, the windows shake, the foundations rock because of the power of music. Those of you who want to experience it, I suggest you go with us Thursday night. It always happens up at the New Wilmington Conference where the more than 1,500 delegates are together. There's great preaching, tremendous praying. But what always inspires me is to hear those rafters shake with the singing, the singing that brings forth action. One of the great things about this church is that it's a singing church. I've sat in some churches that don't sing, and believe me, they're dead churches. May no one of us ever be the one responsible by our lack of cooperation or our attitude of disgust ever hurt that emphasis which is as important to this service as is preaching, as is praying, as in giving. It's there. Action. And that always leads to the power of music, singing, that comes to bring liberation. You see what happened there when, when they were praying and singing? Doors were opened and fetters unfastened. The chains fell off. They fell off. Liberation comes. And you know that. The world is never too dark, nor the problems too great, as long as you can sing. As long as there's a song in your heart. And one of the greatest remedies that we can have for our imprisonments and our sorrows and the darkness of gloom that covers us from some time to another is not to wallow in our own sorrow, but to throw back the shoulders, lift up the voices, and to sing with a voice of singing. It's the greatest thing that can happen, and, and history has proven it over and over again. Spend some time in the history of these hymns that we love to sing. Do you know who wrote them? People who are walking through the valley or living in cells of darkness, imprisoned in one type of despair or another. Henry Light. He was an individual who was very, very sick. He knew he was going to die. But he sat down with pen in hand and he wrote, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. And in three months he was dead. But he found liberation in those last twelve weeks because of singing in his heart. Isaac Watts, 
There's a man we don't think much about, but his body was broken because of work in the church. And as a help of remedy, he sat down and he wrote a hymn which you and I sing at the conclusion of many of our communion services. In my mind, one of the greatest hymns there is, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That came from a man who was broken and living in prison of despair. John Henry Newman. He was living with all sorts of doubts. He was questioning. He didn't think God existed. He sat down and he wrote, Lead kindly light. And the power of music liberated him from his doubts. And who can forget George Matheson? A man who was blinded at a rather young age. That wasn't bad enough, but the one who promised she would stay with him throughout life till death do them part forsook him. He was about ready to give up. But he wrote a hymn, O love that will not let me go. See? It's there. And the next time we're down in there, let's not only pray, that's important, but let's sing to find liberation. And last of all, music brings salvation. Inspiration, action, liberation, and salvation. Some of you know for the last year now I've been studying revivalism because I'm fully convinced God is leading a revival in America today. We're beginning just to see the roots of it. You've heard me talk before about it. We're a part of it. It's going to be thrilling and exciting, a little frightening. But I am convinced that there is a revival beginning now by God working through many different people in different areas of our nation. And one of the things that I've noticed in my study of revivalism is that it has always been accompanied with two great things. Great biblical preaching and strong, hearty singing. Those of you who can remember way, way back, read about him, Dwight Moody. Where would he have been without Ira Sankey? Sankey. Billy Sunday, some of you have heard him. Where would he have been without Homer Rotohaver? Billy Graham, study him very closely as I have. Where would he be without George Beverly Shea? Cliff Barrows, which brings me to the point, where would Bakerstown Church be without Phil Ailey? And that's true, because the Word of God has to be preached, but unless it accompanies with music, the salvation usually does not come. And Phil? This is my tribute to you. Because I know from many of you, from myself and from our large radio congregation, I know that this man for the last ten years has been a part of the great blessing which we have known in Bakerstown Church. People's lives have literally been inspired. They have been moved to action. 
They have been liberated and filled together. We've been able to see many people saved. Many people go throughout life not having that experience. But the Lord has been so good to you, Phil. He's blessed you greatly. He's given you great talent. We don't know what the future is going to hold. And I know you don't want this to last very long today. But I do want to say this. When you leave today to go to Iowa, we hope that you're going to remember us. But I hope no matter what, you'll keep singing. And you'll remember the blessings we've known together as a family here. And we want you out there to pray, to sing, and if they don't treat you right, come back home. Already the choir has given a beautiful, beautiful gift of a clock to Phil. We had a staff party the other night. We gave him a beautiful picture. But on behalf of all of you, your session has a presentation that they want to make at this time. And I'm going to call again to the front, Roland Hartzell, the clerk, and the voice of your session, together with members of the Worship and Parish Life Committee who have assumed this responsibility for the session and for you. And I want Finn, Phil and Winnie, and I believe if they've been able to hide them from you, Kristen and Heather are out there as well. Phil, will you please come forward? Will you please come forward to Winnie? I hope you're not in for a big shock. Phil's been playing the organ, and his secret is he never wears any shoes. He does it in his stocking feet. But he put his shoes on today. You people are there. Would you come, please, over here to, to the front? We want to hurry a little bit because I know many are listening on the radio. Center mic, please. Mic on now. I said uh, Phil does have shoes on in case some of you can't see. Phil, I don't think there's any question in your mind that this congregation appreciates you because I think they show it in their singing. And uh, this morning was no exception. I know we're going to remember a long time and never forget the contributions you've made to this church. We're going to miss that great solo voice of yours. Of course, you're leading in the hymns, your direction of the choir, and the beautiful job they do. And uh, we just thought the congregation would want to show you something more practical in addition to our voices and singing. So here's something that's come along for you and Winnie and the family. And we thought the congregation would like to see it. We know you'll, most of you will be next door, but those of you who might not be or might not be able to see it, we wanted you to see this beautiful table and lamp. And uh, when Phil does some of his work, perhaps you'll remember us as a result. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it doesn't work, we'll get one that does. Wendy, come up, come up here, would you please? Girls. Now, Pat Anderson also has something special for the girls. Now, I hate to, to spoil their surprise of opening the packages, but I think you ought to know. There are two little sterling silver crosses to help you remember us, Kristen and Heather, and also remember your Christ. Phil, 
I'd like to hear this congregation now express their appreciation uh, with some noise. I'll be someplace else every Sunday from now on. My heart will always be back here in Bakerstown. I don't think I can go on and say anything else. Thank you. you okay. Hope you'll all come over to the reception, which will be in hell in honor of the Ailey family. We're going to have the benediction now, and Phil's going to lead the choir. Father, we're very grateful. We ask your blessing to be upon Phil, all of his family, and all of us. We're thankful for this emotional moment and know that our tears speak as well as our prayers and our singing, for we are a body of love, and love is deep. And we know that the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be with us all, wherever we are, until we meet on the other side. God will be with us till we meet again. Amen.